What is up, friends and family? It's time for another episode of Hype is My Superpower. I'm Steve Storman, one of your co-hosts in Brooklyn, New York. And joining me via the Miracles of Modern Technology, it's my good buddy, Will Freeland. Will, what is good? A handful of things, man. I am hanging out, max and relaxing. Over the next week, I'll be having some extra free time because so I'm uh, leaving my second job. Excellent. Uh, I'll have more details in the future, but I'm hoping to start streaming a little bit uh, on Twitch. That could be fun. That's really exciting. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, things are coming along. Doing the best with this whole COVID life, work from home, make the best of your home office life. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of at the point where it's like, okay, I expected it to be this long. And now it's that long. And it's like a whole new adjustment. You know, it's like, well, this is this isn't this isn't going anywhere. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> of course, I worked from home before that, you know, but that's beside the point. <laughs> I went tubing down the Delaware River. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was a really good time. Just bring a cooler full of beer and some snacks and just lay out on the water. And it was a really nice day and just float. The only downside was I got some hellacious sunburns on the tops of my feet. <laughs> That's amazing. Are they in the, were you wearing sandals? And so you have like a V I was, white. <laughs> no, I was wearing, I was wearing shoes and I like sunblocked up with, you know, with shoes on. Cause they said you have to be wearing shoes because there's a rocky bottom to the creek yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. and it's like it's not that bad i'm gonna take my shoes off whatever and then like it was too wet to reapply effectively and <laughs> swole up like little tomatoes i couldn't oh, no. I could barely walk for like days <laughs> it was awful <laughs> but i'm back on my feet now um, oh wow yeah man to be to lack melanin. To be white, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> white people problems for sure. Absolutely. Um, so Rachel has been taking care of me, making little oatmeal baths for my feet, and got me some lotion. I've just been like suffering, but had a in person D and D session uh, oh. yesterday, and walked to that, and it was painful, but made it work. <laughs> and, oh my uh, gosh. Today is the first day where it's like actually feeling all right. And a tropical storm just passed right by us and it's raining oh like gosh. crazy. So wouldn't want to go out anyway. But man, it rained on extensively last night, but it's, it's all wild. Good. Yeah. Oh, to have weather. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a thing. Just weather. It's never strange, man. Yeah. We have quote unquote weather. Like we have a rainy season. It's just, yep. it very rarely ever rains more than 30 minutes at a time. <laughs> and Yeah, and not at all in the summer. Yeah. And, I mean, here it's usually like, I find the weather to be, aside from there being actual weather, like even bad weather is more unpredictable than, like, I feel like, you know, when El Nino comes or something in Santa Barbara, it's like, all right, it's raining. It's going to be raining all week. This is the rainy week, you know? Yeah. And here it's like, okay, it rained for like, five minutes and then it cleared up and then it started hailing and you know it's just like <laughs> all right whatever dude <laughs> oh man awesome well shall we uh 
let's get, get, get going into on it. this. Yeah. yeah. So you've got, you said you read four books for this week. I read four books. I kept it light. So in the order that I read them, I'm going to review them out of order, but I okay. re- in the order I read was Amazing Spider-Man by Nick Spencer. Uh, uh-huh. This one's volume nine. Okay. Sins Rising. In a previous pod, we talked about how Sin Eater got brought back. That's right. And so now I get to deal with Sin Eater and what he's doing. It's very interesting. And then Conan, Battle for the Serpent Crown. Conan's wandering around the U.S. apparently <laughs> and seeing what he's what he's been up to. Spider-Man Noir. It's a oh, cool. one shot. Yeah, this was my least favorite of the four that I read. Oh, okay. um, it's funny. So... When Marvel Noir came out, I was intrigued, but John was like, eh. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll skip yeah. Marvel Noir. There was like 10 books of Marvel Noir. There was like Spider-Man Noir. There was like three yeah. X-Men Noir books. There was a yeah. Luke Cage Noir. And so I was like, fine, I'll skip them. And then Spider-Verse happened. Of course. And, and Spider-Man Noir started showing up more. And then Into the Spider-Verse, the movie happened. Yeah. And you have Nick Cage as Spider-Man Noir. And that gained popularity. And so yeah. they did this one shot of Spider-Man Noir. And so I was, I don't know what I was expecting, but whatever I was expecting, I didn't get it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I was kind of bummed on just having those three books because Conan was meh and Spider-Man Noir was very excited about. It. So I read the next book, which was Hawkeye Freefall. Oh. And nice. I am glad I read it. I've, I've cool. pretty much I sandwiched my reading with some good stuff. Excellent. So I was going to do Hawkeye and Spider-Man last mm-hmm. <laughs> because I wanted to just shoot through Noir and Conan. Cool. Sounds um, good. Yeah. And then, so you, you uh, did kind of a split thing. Yeah. So I have this baby little chapter of Nomon. It's only like six pages, <laughs> but since wow, we haven't, since really we, small. I know after the first two were 50 plus, but since we didn't do Nomon in a little while, I figured we'd, we'd spend some time on recap or give you an opportunity to, to get back in the headspace for it. And then I decided to fill a little bit of time by getting back and reading some 1998, see if I could push myself through it. I read one arc plus an annual of alpha flight. That's all I could drag myself through over the entire week. So yeah. Oh, alpha flight. I like alpha flight. Like they've never been, (laughs) All the stuff I've read. So, okay. So in the 20 years I've been reading, Alpha Flight's only had a title, I think, twice. Yeah. <laughs> Once was a tie-in with Fear Itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one other time, I think, maybe. I guess I should say I like the characters in Alpha Flight because yeah. they show up in a lot of other things. <laughs> I like a lot of the characters for Alpha Flight, too, which is just makes it very frustrating that all their titles are just like insane. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they don't work as a team, but they're, they're fun. Oh no, they don't. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the point. And mm. like, you, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get into it. Okay. Okay. Sounds good to me, man. Um, start us off. All right. Yeah. So I'm going to start with Conan. Uh, Battle for the Serpent Crown. So last time we saw Conan, so he started in sa- in the Savage Land and, and Antarctica. 
with the savage avengers yeah and then he was like all right guys i'm walking and then uh right (laughs) and then he ended up in mexico during empire uh, okay that little one shot you know when you're from the hyborian age sure you can walk everywhere (laughs) you just swim to the tip of chile and keep going from there yeah, apparently okay and so now we come across conan and he is in las vegas uh, perfect i, I don't know it. how he got across the wall that we have <laughs> but you know <laughs> i guess his skin is light enough and he's wearing little enough that no one wanted to mess with him right but <laughs> so he shows so this story he shows up in vegas these these undocumented immigrants they come across the border with nothing but the clothes on their backs or sometimes not even that <laughs> yeah he only the sword by his side and literally yeah. that's it um the so long cloth on the <laughs> Yeah, he's literally like he wears cloth boots and like a fur loincloth. Yeah. And like he has like gold bracers on his wrists. That's all he has. And a sword. It's wild. Conan is so interesting to me. <laughs> they, and they, yet he doesn't get sunburnt on the tops of his goddamn feet. No, he doesn't because <laughs> he's been training his skin since day one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've yeah. been hiding under clothes and in buildings yeah. this whole time. That's where that's Often where we messed weak. up. Yeah. Well, yeah. Conan just as a character is so interesting to me that they're making they're going out of the way to make him work in 616. Because mm. like he's strong in the sense that he lives in battle. And so he has like heightened strength. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily, it's not like he has super strength, like he's not a Hulk. He's right. not, he's not even like a Namor or anything like that. But, but maybe like a Captain America, like yeah. Maybe, peak, maybe peak, maybe peak physical. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't have any like mystical powers. There's no like mystical enchantment on him. Right. He's literally a guy with a sword that knows how to read a battlefield and can mm-hmm. fight. That's cool. <laughs> and they just try to tell these stories that like try to make it work for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so he comes across other costumed heroes and like, there's always this kind of dissonance between the t- between them. Like so, he comes. So he's in Vegas. So inevitably, he's going to come across home like Scarlet Spider, who yeah. uh, Ben Riley Scarlet Spider is currently the superhero of, of Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and he's wearing his old uh, like sweater cut off shirt, sure costume. But so like he comes across Scarlet Spider, and he's just like. What is this? Why why do you have these inhuman abilities? Like it just none of these things make sense to him, but like sure. somehow he gets out of it. It's it's wild. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so as for the story, he gets caught up in a plot by Mephisto, because Mephisto is still a prisoner in Vegas. He gets okay. caught up by a plot by Mephisto to get Conan to go find the serpent scepter. And oh, the serpent the scepter. Serpent scepter. <laughs> He who wields the serpent scepter and the serpent crown mm-hmm. would have enough power to release Mephisto from his cage. Yeah. So the serpent scepter is attuned to the serpent crown. And so if you hold the serpent scepter, it will take you to the crown. So we get Conan and he crosses paths with Black Cat and Scarlet Spider and heisty stuff. And then 
he gets teleported to Wakanda because that's where the Serpent Scepter is. So then he has a tussle with Black Panther after they already find this hidden shrine where the scepter is. And T'Challa is very interested because this is something that even the Wakandan tech hasn't ever found within Mm. Wakanda because, you know, storytelling. So, uh, (laughs) and so he finds out that Conan is not a bad guy. And so he's like, fine, let you do your thing. Take the scepter. And the serpent crown is in Atlantis. And so... In order to do this, the Wakandans give Conan and this girl that he's hanging out with kind of like a heart-shaped herb sort of thing, but it's okay. a little it's a little tech yeah. thing that they have that basically gives them the ability to breathe underwater for six hours. Sure. But also turns their skin blue and mm-hmm. they go down and get the serpent crown. There's a bad guy involved, but he's so inconsequential that it doesn't really matter uh his name is emus champion he is an avengers villain from long ago that no one's used in a long time the only reason why i bring it up is because when they're in atlantis and they get the crown he's in this like diver suit and he actually wears the crown and somehow the crown recognizes him as wearing it okay um and so like the crown is on his like diver's helmet (laughs) but He's able to use it. I don't know. It's just weird. It feels like, makes me feel like you could put it on a statue and the statue would like be able to wear its crown or something. Sure. It's just strange. But yeah, he uses the scepter and he uses the crown and he wants to take out Mephisto and then it doesn't work. And then they come back to Vegas. Like there's so much world traveling that I don't understand that Conan could possibly be involved in <laughs> this man in like the six months in continuity he's been on the planet has him, literally been to every single corner of the world him and uh colossus should have him a, and colossus yeah they, yeah, they, should, they should they should trade maps just yeah. to see where they've been but yeah it was very inconsequential the crown ended up getting destroyed no disappearing cool we don't even know where it is um <laughs> uh Champ, Emus Champion, Imus, I don't, it's I-M-U-S, I don't know how to pronounce it. Okay. Emus Champion ends up not being able to control the two serpent tools at one time, and so he goes mad, and then he just kind of get. he either disappears or he explodes or he dies. I don't know exactly what happened to him. They don't bother diving into it because they don't care. So <laughs> uh, it's hard for me to care, but yeah. You know, Mephisto foiled, Emus Champion stopped, Conan is now in Vegas, hanging out in a casino. Okay. Just chilling. Like, sure. it, every issue would, took place in a different place. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you just have to assume he walked there? Basically, it's five issues. And issue one and five are in Vegas. Issue two yeah. is in Wakanda. Issue three is in Atlantis. Like, it just... He's never, they never present any other mode of transportation for him. They never show him on a jet. (laughs) He, I don't think, I don't, that would make for a good scene. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It just, it it makes zero sense to me. I mean, one of the times, maybe two of the times he got teleported, but sure. He's still obsessed with finding Kumal Graf. The, it's a sorcerer that they fought in 
the first volume of Savage Avengers, Kulan Graf. He's from Conan's time also. Conan believes that if he kills Gath, he can go back to the Hyborian Age. Okay, That's sure. his entire story. That's his arc within 616. He wants to find that guy, wants to kill him, wants to get back home. Right, okay. But anyway, it was a one-shot. It's not numbered. So thank sure. goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. So Ugh. real quick, I'm remembering where I am familiar with the Serpent Crown. It's a long-standing MacGuffin. It's um, very much a MacGuffin. It was the center of a big crossover in 1989 called Atlantis Attacks, but the crossover was told entirely in annuals, so it affected nothing and basically <laughs> didn't happen. Yeah, they went into the origin of the Serpent Scepter, and so I believe okay. it was created for this story. Yeah, but yeah, the Serpent Crown, basically he who wears it can control the minds of others and stuff like that. Yeah. It's kind of like a non-mutant Cerebro. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing snake-like about it. Why is this? No. Who knows? Who cares? It's connected yeah. in Atlantis Attacks. It was connected to the Serpent God set, but like, right. that seems tenuous. So, Yeah, but I mean, like the Atlanteans... Snakes, mind control. I don't know. But, like, the Atlanteans have nothing to do with Egyptian mythology in the first place. Right. So, like, it just from the get-go, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, there are some details in the book about that kind of stuff, but it felt inconsequential. It doesn't seem <laughs> like it's really going anywhere. Yeah. But, you know, it happened. It was mm-hmm. in 616. I had to read it. <laughs> <laughs> a recurring theme. Yep. Unlike Spider-Man Noir, there we go. which happens in his own home universe. Um, but you still had to read it. I read it because it's Spider-Man. Yep. I also crossed my fingers that kind of like Ghost Spider, Spider-Gwen, that there was going to be a little bit of tie-in to 616 and or setting something up for maybe the next Spider story. Mm-hmm. So fingers are crossed, hopes were dashed. <laughs> so Spider-Man Noir, it is, I guess, conceptually, it's interesting. It's set in 1939. And so there's a lot of headlines and stuff about Hitler and mm-hmm. the potential of the of an incoming war. Mm. And he's like starting to gather Nazis and like the Nazi party is becoming a threat and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. As far as like placement in time is concerned he talks like a late 30s gumshoe like so, a noir character yeah 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 so peter parker noir is a detective he's a pi yeah and it seems like everybody knows his identity like <laughs> sure. i don't know why he wears his mask like <laughs> he'll have his mask someone will show up and he'll take his mask off and they'll continue the conversation like nothing happened <laughs> so i'm just like All right. So I guess everyone knows who you are. But also at the beginning, they made a reference to I thought you were dead because I believe in the last spider crossover, some of the original alt universe spiders died. And I think Noir might have been one of them. Spider-Man Captain Britain is the biggest name that that died because he was a big leader in the first Mm Spider-Verse. And I guess Spider-Man Noir died also. I don't know. Point is. um, Sure. Everyone just knows who he is. And it's yeah. weird to see a Peter Parker going about his life where Aunt May and Mary Jane and literally every other person he talks to knows who he is. That, yeah. 
<laughs> so basically, we're given a story of them tracking down someone gets killed at a nightclub and they have this cicada stone on them. And they're like, yeah. why? What is what's up with that? And they're like, I don't know. Let me go call Parker and see if he can figure it out. Mm-hmm. Enter traveling across the world to Egypt. <laughs> to get to the bottom of this you have team-ups with black widow noir you have Mm -hmm. uh tony stark noir all of them talking very strangely because i'm just (laughs) not used to noir style you have gods you have oh you have shuri noir um she shows up as adora malaje and so wakandans are involved and the origin of this cicada stone is wrapped in these two god sisters Hmm. and the girl that got killed was a god and in order to do that the sister that set her up to be killed could then become all powerful your typical god ascension type story electro is in this electro noir he's kind of cool he's like a big guy he's got mutton chops and he's got a backpack for his electricity uh-huh. um cool uh, just, just kind of fun and then you know the climax battle involves lady god resurrecting the original noir sinister six mm-hmm. so you have like craven and sandman and chameleon green goblin and electro sure <laughs> and there's like metamorphoses and random stuff here and there. And then there's a soul searching moment for Peter where he has a conversation with the spirit of uncle Ben to get reinvigorated, to get back in the fight. And that's kind of that. It was kind of a boring story. Um, Very predictable. It is kind of weird having a Peter Parker with guns. So the whole (laughs) idea about, Spider-Man Noir is originally he had a gun that shot webs, but I believe when he died and came back, he got organic webbing. It's all the rage. (laughs) It's all the rage these days. Either that or he has web shooters that he never has to refill. It never shows it (laughs) (laughs) because he's always wearing a long flowing trench coat. So you never really get to see his wrists, but he's just a gun toting PI with a hat and a trench coat, and a mask. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun to see someone as agile as Pete, kind of looking a little bit like Batman here and there with yeah. like a flowing cape, but it's a trench coat. Right. <laughs> and then it's just weird having him shoot literally everyone. Um, <laughs> you know, Nazis are involved, and so you get to sure. kill Nazis with reckless abandon because they're Nazis. Right. Um, and then you have undead, and you can kill undead because they're not alive. Right. Um, yeah. Like you have a more quote unquote ruthless Pete. Right. Because it's, you know, the dirty 30s. But there are no um, consequences to your ruthlessness because you set up all the villains to be people who are disposable or, or yes. creatures. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Or gods. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, as the case may be. As the case may be. But yeah, I just. It's only five issues and it took me three sit downs to read it. It wasn't compelling. It wasn't great. It felt like this is the first time that we see a Tony Stark or a Black Widow mm. um, or Natasha, sorry, within noir. So I think they also use it as an excuse to expand the universe if they wanted to, kind of like 2099. But at least this is set in the past. 
So you know, we don't have anything to look forward to, quote unquote. <laughs> but yeah, so those were not great, but I had way more fun reading Hawkeye and Spider-Man. Yeah. 616 Spider-Man. So Hawkeye, I'm really thankful that MCU has not been so successful that they have taken away from Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. Yeah. And made like a dark and brooding Hawkeye like we have in Endgame. I mean, I get that his family died, but like, (laughs) or his family blipped, but like the Hawkeye we've gotten in the MCU generally is pretty serious. He cracks some jokes, but he's not the like aloof Hawkeye that we get in Matt Fraction's run. Right. Um, So this is written by Rosenberg, Matthew Rosenberg. And it started out weird just as far as like, quote unquote continuity is concerned because this is a one shot yeah. and we haven't had a, an ongoing a Hawkeye, Hawkeye title since Fraction. Wait, no, we had we had a couple after. Anyway. Well, that while. title, I should say like okay. that, that, um, that Just, numbering. Okay. So he still owns that apartment building right. um, that he bought in the first volume. Right. Okay. From the Russian mobsters. Yeah. Uh, and we just kind of get to see, you know, what's he doing on the side since he's not on the current Avengers roster. Oh. Like, cause right now the Avengers roster is like all heavy hitters. Right. Um, like She-Hulk and Captain Marvel. Yeah. Uh, Black Panther, Ghost Rider, all them. So yeah, he's not currently an Avenger. So it's kind of like, what is he, what is he doing these days? Yeah. So basically we have Hawkeye deciding he's going to take down the hood. The hood is a villain that got introduced in the late aughts, like around 2007, 2008. Same as Parker Robbins. He's your typical like mobster for the Kingpin, a nobody. He comes across this red hood and he finds out that if he holds his breath, he can become invisible while he's wearing the hood. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he uses that to kind of start climbing the ranks and kind of getting money for he and his buddy. And then he, he comes to find out that that hood is possessed by a demon. And the more he uses it, the more he's selling his soul. And at this point, he is pretty much one with this demon. If he loses his cool, he starts to turn into that demon kind of thing. Interesting. Um, like a dark child type situation. Yeah. I've always thought it was so strange. So through the years, he has really climbed his way up to become another mob boss within the criminal underground. Yeah. He had a good run during New Avengers where he was like kind of the kingpin. He built a criminal empire based around whatever score a group of people does, everyone gets a cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of passes out. He like he takes like 10% or something and then sure. passes out the rest to everyone. And so he inspired a lot of loyalty that way. But since then, after he was on the first cabal, since then he hasn't really been seen, but I guess he yeah. still has his criminal ring. And so he's on the same level as like the Magia, Owl, and his yeah. men. There's always going to be this power vacuum since Kingpin is the mayor. Right. So basically we kind of see what has he been doing? Oh, he's peddling drugs in a neighborhood that Hawkeye lives in. So Hawkeye mm-hmm. decides he wants to take down the hood. And so you kind of have this sort of Robin Hood story unfold where Hawkeye has been stealing money from the hood as Ronin, 
So he's now donning the Ronin costume again, which is pretty fun. Oh, cool. Um, which, for those who don't know, the Ronin costume is very similar to what Barton wears at the beginning of Endgame when he's yeah. hunting down the, mm-hmm. uh, this Jap- the Japanese triad guys. Basically, after he got brought back to life after House of M, he dropped the Hawkeye costume and went around as Ronin for a little bit. And that's how they brought Clint back into superheroism. He's an amazing hand-to-hand fighter. Like right. you would never assume that when you're dealing with an archer. Right. Uh, but <laughs> but as Ronin, you, you really get to see why he is an Avenger. I mean, like he's not just a good shot. Like, right. He yeah. can go toe-to-toe with Captain America and Shang-Chi. Like, all the great fighters, he's up yeah. there with them. And so when they revealed Ronin was Clint, it was like, oh my gosh. And then Clint got to the point where he's like, okay, I will be Hawkeye again. It was kind of around Dark Avengers when uh, Bullseye, Bullseye was, was, was yeah. the Dark Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. And Clint was like, hell no. And so he yeah. decided to be Hawkeye again. Yeah. Uh, Man, comics. Okay, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, he's going around his Ronin, messing with the Hood's money. And so he's taking that money. He was the biggest donor at this charity auction event. So he could impress his current, at the time, girlfriend, Linda Carter, also known as the Night Nurse. Mm-hmm. And that was a fun little side part. And he then goes to a hospital and he's like, hey... You guys need to go. Um, like fix I see a dog. No, wait, see- sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they go to he goes to the hospital. He's like, hey, you guys see that Hood is bringing in all these drugs, and you guys are like endorsing the people that are trying to get rid of the drugs. That's great, but you guys need to have like a drug rehab program and get that going. And they're like, yeah, that's great. We don't have the money for that. You're ridiculous. He's like, oh, okay. How's this? how's this? And drops a double bag full of money. So <laughs> he's taking that stolen money and now funding this like free drug rehab program within the neighborhood which is also super cool basically spending the money in a lot of really good ways so he's doing a semi robin hood kind of thing instead of giving it to the people he's spending it on the organizations that will actually do some good yeah he's going and buying off the dirty cops that the hood has He's giving them more money than than the hood was. He's like single-handedly like dismantling his entire empire. It's sure. very interesting. Yeah. And so there's a lot of fun banter between him and Falcon and the Winter Soldier shows up for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Night Nurse. Tony Stark was there for a little bit. D-Man shows up. Uh, Luke Cage shows up. Daredevil shows up. Huh. Like as he's doing more and more things kind of leading this triple life as yeah. Clint Barton, Hawkeye and Ronan. He's just coming across more and more cameos. And so it's been fun. Oh, Spider-Man shows up multiple times. It was a really fun read. Fractions Hawkeye is very much still alive as far as like, he just gets beat the F up <laughs> all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's never an issue where he's not like bleeding or yeah. wearing a, or wearing three band-aids on his face. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty fun. It ends with him teaming up with Nefaria, which places this before Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man. But anyway, uh, yeah. teams up. he teams up with Count Nefaria, who's basically yeah. like a demon-possessed vampire guy. Mm-hmm. He makes a deal with him to 
get a demon that wants the demon cloak back from the hood. Oh, and in the final issue, Clint dismantles the last piece of income that Parker has Parker Robbins, the hood, which is a bank. He takes the bank down and then makes a deal with that demon and the demon steals the hood's hood back. Oh, Uh, so it ends with Parker Robbins as just Parker no hood anymore and the assassins that were there hired by parker to take out hawkeye see him walking away and then he and they say uh nah let him go he's one of us now and if even if he doesn't know it yet because he's been leaning so hard into this like ronin persona so it's very mm-hmm. interesting they're, they're really leading him into this like anti-hero vigilante semi-bad guy Route. I'm not 100% sure where they're going with it yet, but they're hinting towards kind of a darker path for Hawkeye. Interesting. Um, so yeah, it, I am conceptually very interested to see where this is going to go. But to remove the hood from the hood yeah. uh, is a big play for a one-shot solo title. Yeah, um, I'm I guess very hood interested in that. I guess Hood hasn't popped up in a while though, right? No, he's mm-hmm. really not used anymore. Um, yeah, he had his two and a half years of fame, but like, Interesting. that doesn't still. change the fact that he's still like a baby kingpin. Like, he still has a yeah. crime gang. Yeah, like, yeah. To remove his supernatural power, yeah, and his financial power. That's big destabilization. Yeah, that, that was that was a, a big real play. new status quo for a character and potential to bring him back and do something else with him. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. So yes, that was fun. Okay. So Amazing okay. Spider-Man Volume 9. Yep. Last time I talked about Volume 8, it was kind of a semi-intermission volume. Sin Eater got brought back by, oh, the big bad, that creepy bug guy. His name is Kindred. And okay. on the back, it says, now the demon known as Kindred is finally ready to take his revenge. I guess... What we've seen of him, I guess we can assume he is a demon, but I've never been necessarily convinced that he wasn't just some superpowered bad guy. Yeah. (laughs) Which, what's the difference, really? But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. So Kindred brought back uh, Sin Eater. Sin Eater, we really went into it last time I covered, but basically, Fallen Sealed Agent turned detective. He's the one that killed Captain Gene DeWolf. The revelation of his identity is what disgraced Eddie Brock. And then he ended up committing suicide by cop. And that was really the last time we'd seen him. Mm -hmm. He got brought back last volume. And now he's going around with this shotgun and killing people and saying that he is cleansing them of their sins. Like, And it was very strange. So he like, he killed Overdrive, who he was a gun for hire. So, okay. <laughs> you saw the confusion on my face. I don't know Overdrive. Yeah. So Overdrive is, in the grand scheme of Spider-Man, a newer Spider-Villain. Okay. Uh, he is a getaway driver, first and foremost. <laughs> he has this enhanced ability to basically trick out any vehicle that he touches. He has like nanobots in his system. So he touches a vehicle and one, he can turn it on and two, he tricks it out so he can like get out. It's like armored, turbocharged, all the good stuff. Gets on a bike, same thing. Gets in a car, same thing. He was on like one of the Sinister Sixes 
Okay. You know, half of Spider-Man's villains have been a Sinister Six of course. member. So yeah. it's not really a claim to fame. But <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not what it is in, in video games or movies because you only have up to three movies to pull right. from. But he basically became a driver for hire for the inner demons who work for Mr. Negative. Mr. Negative is another one of those like small time crime yeah. ring villains also introduced in Spider-Man. So he's driving around for the inner demons. They get stopped. Sin Eater shows up and shoots him. Okay. Overdrive is... He, he's one of those Spider-Man baddies that he's on the fence and he's more than willing to go good if he was given the chance. Okay. Um, as soon as the inner demon started killing people, he wanted out. He doesn't want to be an accessory to that. But it yeah. doesn't matter. Sinita killed him. Okay. Shot him. And then in the morgue, Overdrive gets up. He comes back to life. No hole in his chest anymore. And for whatever reason, he just feels completely guilt-free and because like, his sins they have been eaten. yeah and so as the reader you're like the hell's happening here yeah and then the frightful four that got brought back together last volume oh yeah they they show up so in that so count nefaria is one of the frightful four that's why oh, i was right. saying that this takes yeah, place yeah yeah that's why uh free fall takes place before this okay but they crash this tech demonstration at ESU Spider-Man shows up because that's where he is. Right. Uh, and he's trying, he's working on stopping them. You have like living laser whirlwind, uh, okay. gray gargoyle and count nefaria. That okay. is the frightful four. You have all these people like with their phones out watching yada yada. Sure. And Spider-Man is working on stopping them. And then sin eater shows up. Okay. Shows up and starts shooting all of them gets nefaria down on the ground nefaria is in a Jeez. wheelchair gets okay. him down shoots his face off oh my god yeah with this insane freaking shotgun that he has spider-man screams like no like stop killing people this is ridiculous yeah and then the crowd starts cheering for sin eater uh-huh and spider-man just is so uncomfortable and he's like what the hell are yeah. you doing why are you guys cheering for this man yeah like he just killed these people in cold blood and they're like yeah but they're bad guys right and like it just shows this like desensitization of like if you can label something as yeah. a bad guy and not a yeah. person yeah it's totally fine and like just the desperation spider-man wears a mask i can't really say the desperation on his face, <laughs> but, but they the make desperation it yeah. on his face. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, that was crazy to see. Yeah. Just like from like, Oh man, <laughs> I guess <laughs> I try. So this is kind of stepping out of the comics for a second, but like for me, yeah, I want to inspire goodness in right. people. Yep. And when people like lose their cool and act out, I want to talk them down. Right. And then you have a scene like that where someone shows up, shoots and kills these people with their shotgun at point blank range. And And then you have an entire crowd cheering. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine how like Uh hopeless Spider-Man would feel in that moment. Is this what you were saying in group chat when you're like, I'm getting empathetic in my old age as as the things that Spidey goes through? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, poor Spider-Man. <laughs> um, <laughs> it just blew my mind, that entire scene. And 
I was so stressed out. <laughs> um, anywho, St. Peter's like, what are you talking about? I'm cleansing them of their sins. Their sins yeah. are now gone. Why are you upset? And Spider-Man has tried. This is like the third tussle he's had with St. Peter since he's been back. Okay. And every single time, St. Peter has gotten the kill and left. Like, Oh, shit. Okay. And so, like, he just feels so helpless. Yeah. <laughs> And then God. the next time we see Sin Eater, now he has all of their powers. Oh. Yeah. So that happened. <laughs> Sin and also Power Eater. Yeah. And then the Frightful Four are brought back relatively quickly and completely guilt-free. They get yeah. sent to Ravencross because of who they are. Right. Or who they were. Right. But like all of the registered like nurses and doctors are like, I don't think there's a case to keep them here. Yeah. Like huh. there's no rehabilitating them. They're done. Like there's nothing to like talk to them about crazy <laughs> to like work them through their like traumas. Cause they have none. So Nora winters, who is the head of basically the TMZ of six, one, six. She goes to Ravencroft to interview and be like, what the hell is happening here? Yeah. So she inter- interviews uh, Nefaria, who has a face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and he's like, yeah, That's good I for know. The TV viewers. Right. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I know I've done some bad things, but like, it doesn't even feel like that was me. Hmm. It's reminiscent of a resurrection on Krakoa and like oh, just skipping out on some of those memories yeah. and trauma and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um it's like reading a book of things that you supposedly did kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So there have been riots at Ravencroft and none of the frightful four have been involved. Mm-hmm. They've just like sat in their chairs and just like let it go around them and sure. all this other stuff. So meanwhile, you have Sinitor inspiring a movement. Basically he uses Nora Winters to get on camera and makes this announcement of just like, Hey, all of you who have sinned, I can help you give you power. You've seen what I can do. I can absolve you of your sins. Wow. Um, yada, Interesting. Yada. Yeah. And so he is inspiring all these others to go and take their sins into their own hands, basically kind of creating a mob and they're all getting a green ski mask with the eyes cut out like what he has. Spider-Man gets involved to try to stop them. It's not going well. (laughs) (laughs) Sin Eater, with all of his power, stops him in his tracks. So the mob is still chilling. Oh, shit. And I'm getting stressed out because (laughs) there's literally only like two or three pages left uh, (laughs) in the volume. And Justin Eater knocking Spider-Man on his feet. And he's like, I'm not going to do anything to you this entire time. He's always saying, yeah, I'm working for someone, working for someone, because he's working for Kindred. He's doing Kindred bidding this entire time. And he's like, yeah, he already told me who I have to go cleanse next. And then you see like the riot going on at Ravencroft that no one's involved that the five four aren't involved in. And then it shows he comes for you, Norman Osborn and it's it's Norman because Norman is the head of Ravencroft right now. Okay. And it just has a picture of Norman in the security room with his shadow of the green goblin. Oh shit. Okay. And so Sin Eater is going to go for Norman Osborn next in the next volume. Um, Volume 10 is called the return of the green goblin. So 
Um, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, there we go. Yeah. Holy crap. So it's funny. So I've been reading a lot of Amazing Spider-Man lately, and I, okay. I think I realized it's because of the pandemic, because eight was last volume. This is volume nine, and Return of the Green Goblin is volume 10. Okay. I looked on the release schedules. They all came out within like three months of each other but they have you know five issues each I, I, yeah i think amazing's being released like weekly or bi-weekly it or might something. also be bi-weekly yeah. yeah they were so close to each other on my shelf that i thought i was like backfilling and putting them in wrong and so yeah i put in some work to go and look for what <laughs> books i'm missing and what orders and yada yada yeah and yeah they came out literally a month from apart from each other huh but yeah wheels are spinning <laughs> yeah no shit. Thing, things are happening here sin eater is inspiring this mob he's got all the powers of everyone he shoots with his shotgun yeah um everyone that he kills is, has been coming back with their sins supposedly absolved so like that brings a whole other set of questions of like it's a cool yeah set of ethics like is isn't this a better like if you're relying on beating up and catching people and putting them in jail as a way to like reform and rehabilitate people. Like clearly that's not working. Yeah. So historically that just doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, so, like, and in the real world, putting way? people in jail doesn't do any, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so like, is he killing them? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, Oh man. And, Ever, and like, but then yeah. again, like obviously the example of like taking their power is like, Sin Eater's getting something out of this, so this isn't an ethical exchange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, if you take that part out of it, like, I don't know. There's an argument that it's more defensible than what Spider-Man's doing. Right. Throw me for a loop, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about And also, this is my first time dealing with Sin Eater. Okay. Because he, he died in the 90s. So, okay. like, I've never actually seen him on paper. Yeah, yeah. And so this is my first introduction to him. And, like, with a name like Sin Eater, I'm like, okay, you're probably not a good guy. And he, <laughs> he, he's been, like, not, I can't of- say according to legend, but, like, historically from reference, he's been a bad guy. He's in a purple sweater. He wears green gloves and a green ski mask. And he walks right. around with a shotgun. So like, he's got all of these secondary <laughs> colors, which codes him he as also a has. He also has the villain colors, yes. Yeah, and so like nothing about him screams, "I should root for this guy." Right, but like he's making a very interesting case for himself. Right. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So I can't wait to read more and see what's going next. That's awesome. I'm excited for you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't even. This entire time, we still haven't dealt with Kindred. But like, right? Yeah, I've seen he's more involved here because we see Kindred bring Saint Eater back and give him his orders and stuff. Right, and so I get to see him more. But like, I also have no idea. He knows <laughs> everything he's doing is against Peter Parker and right. not Spider Man. So he knows right. who he is. Okay, and he always refers to him as Peter. He can. Yeah. He watches him. He can see him whenever he wants. Oh, like. Shit. He's a very yeah, creepy, creepy baddie. Yeah, that's <laughs> creepy as hell. Fuck. Yeah. So, like, I want to know how this is going to go down. Yeah. I want to know. They bring it up again. There's, like, this vault under Ravencroft. Something is behind there. Uh, we see it for oh, the first always, time. Always a good thing to have in your creepy mental asylum. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
We see it for the first time last volume and Sin Eater shows up and sits outside the vault. I don't think he went inside, (laughs) but he knows something is in there. I think Sin Eater knows what's in there. I think Kendrick knows what's in there. Yeah. I don't know what's in there. Uh, And then uh, like, I want to see what's going on with that. I can't wait to see Green Goblin come back because he's such a fun villain against uh, antagonist for Spider-Man. So I can't wait to see that. I'm just. Hell yeah. So thankfully, okay, next book that I'm reading is Ghost Spider Volume 2. Okay. But then after that is Spider-Man Volume 10. And I okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so that's that's what I'm doing as I had messaged around. I read Spider-Man. I read that volume a little over a week ago. Yeah. Um, and it's been sitting with me, man. <laughs> so glad I got to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <sighs> but yeah, so... Um, no, 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 man. No, man. So, yeah, I'm the king so, of transitions, clearly. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> no, man. Let's go. So, so I have what do my, you remember? Yeah. I have my uh, notes open here. Yeah. See, from last time, there was a rich Greek guy named Constantine Kyriakos. Seems to be from the 2020s, as opposed to everything else from the future. Haunted by a math shark. Oh, right, the the fours. Yeah, and remember this like, was this was in the Sansara font. So yes. this is this, this is a is memory within Diana um, Hunter. Diana Hunter. Okay. Yeah. In this memory, so there's that stock ticker, and then when you see the fours, it starts circling around a stock, and then it closes quickly and immediately. And so the, he acted on it one time and got a hundred million dollars. There's a video game launch party for the Witnessed. Just Witnessed. No the. Uh, oh, I don't even have the. Okay, here. Real, real, is, face, real Facebook vibes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh damn it. <laughs> so, uh, video game launch party for Witnessed. Yes, that's what I have here. Uh, yeah. I also have another note that just says base 12. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, and then so as opposed to the daily voting thing is called The Witness. Yeah. Well, that's in yeah. the current it, time. It's called the system, which is more or less interchangeable with the witness. The witness is what she works for as a cop, basically. And it's oh. a computer, it's a computer AI surveillance system. It's hand in hand with the daily voting thing because it's, you know, checks on everybody to make sure that they're like, you know, not doing antisocial or, you know, things that it would consider criminal or whatever. And it's the the sort of like the surveillance, which creates the community, which creates the trust, which creates the voting, mm-hmm. essentially. So how do you feel about something like The Witness? Um, I mean, it immediately raises my hackles. You know, I'm expecting it to go wrong instantly. Hmm. Um, just because of, I believe in a certain extent in privacy. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, when your life is lived in public, it doesn't allow you the possibility to change in the same way. Like you, you don't have the opportunity to retreat, to consider. You have to worry about how you're being seen, how your actions are being. Uh, there's so much less room for mistakes and with less mistakes, less growth, essentially. I see. I see. Wow. That is... Um... <laughs> That is the most effective argument I've actually ever heard about um, more privacy. 
Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Because <laughs> um, like knee jerkedly, I'm generally fine with a uh, more public, like having my head tuned into some sort of yeah. system that everyone is connected to. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm also, I'm not an evil genius. And so like, <laughs> I'm not going to do wrong with it. Right. <laughs> but cause like, I think of like all the potential good you could do with it and how totally. awesome it would be to like crowdsource efforts. And like the, the idea of it, just the potential, there's so much potential for good that I get super excited about that. But I also know that it's probably not going to happen <laughs> just because like, Whenever we see stories that happen in the future like this, it's always post-implementation and post-acceptance of right. that kind of connectivity. Right. And I always think about, like, how did the transition go? No kidding. Yeah. You know, or like, especially like 20 years into it, when there's still like 5 million people, a billion people who still don't want it and still, right. still don't use it. Right. Like... Did those people get alienated? Did those people get killed off right. like, by natural causes? Like, or, or just, you know, uh, yeah, alienated it, to the effect that they aren't able to compete in society in the same way. Right. Or, yeah. Well, even like people like Nico and, and Amir, who are yeah. two of my closest friends, yeah. don't have Facebook yeah. So when we talk, I talk about things that I assume everyone has known because it's on my <laughs> Facebook. Right. And they're like, wait, what? I'm like, uh-huh. oh my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me take a step back to tell you. And it's a quote unquote inconvenience for someone like me because I have to rehash something uh-huh. that everyone else already knows because I've already spent my time saying it. But, but like, on the other hand, you get your news that like they get their news in a way that's, uh, you know, like, from actually talking to people instead of just reading the updates on the screen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with either of those approaches. Right. Uh, it, but there's always going to be that clash when the yeah. two approaches, you know, are in a one-on-one conversation. Absolutely. Uh, and I think one of the things I like about the world of Nomon here, cause you're talking about, you know, most of these, when you come across this like death of privacy dystopia, it's always presented as something like dark and scary and bad and like works for nobody. And is actively evil, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really compelling in no mind that it's presented as something that just generally works, you know, right. And like more or less has positive, you know, like the people who believe in it and trust in it, like they see no reason that there's any, there could be anything wrong with it. You know, Mm -hmm. like, and it's not specifically because they're brainwashed. It's because it's only done right by them, you know, and even somebody like Diana Hunter, where she's uh, presented as a dissenter or somebody who is against this sort of thing is trying to opt out. Her house is the Faraday cage. Her house is the Faraday cage. Yeah. Yeah. It's extreme circumstances that she died under interrogation. This is not anything that anyone's heard of before this Mm. isn't like what happens to dissenters in this society this is a -a one-of-a-kind occurrence and they are going through every available opportunity to try and work for her make things right like go the extra mile and and honor her memory in a way right Mm -hmm. so i like that it 
this like future of technology and, and surveillance and control isn't presented as a simple bad thing. And I think even in this early stage, it's presented in a way where like, yeah, you probably like there's something not to be trusted here, especially just through in, in my reading, in the fullness of the characterization of Hunter versus of Neith, you know, like Hunter is just such a more like well-rounded character with a distinct voice and, you know, humor and all this stuff. And Neith is just a very like straightforward workaholic. Mm-hmm. And so it's much easier to identify with Hunter's point of view around all this stuff at this point than mm-hmm. it is to identify with Neith's. Mm. Cool. But that's just my reading of the way the book is leaning at this point, but it doesn't give you any like specific reason to distrust or doubt. Right. The witness. The witness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. This is a chapter back in Seraphine. And remember, at the end of the first chapter, she was in Diana Hunter's house. She met with Regno Lenrot. They had a conversation. And then Lenrot bopped her on the head. And right. it sort of started inducing some of these uh, memories to, to start unspooling in her head. And so... Neith awakens in a hospital with a mild concussion. And like most of us, you know, checking our phones, first thing we do when we wake up, the first thing she does is she puts on her glasses and she checks in with the witness. And we kind of have our first description of how the witness tech works. So it's glasses with like a HUD display, basically. It never says that, but like you can kind of. Yeah, like a Google (laughs) Glass. They always only just say it's glasses, but like you can kind of figure it out from existing tech. And in the like ear bridge of the glasses, basically there's like a hearing aid to engage audio. She like taps it and a bud extrudes to delicately touch the inner surfaces of her ear. So basically a hearing aid and she doesn't need to talk to it out loud. Forming words is enough. And it can infer from the movements in the neck and her mouth what she's asking of it and respond to her with the audio. And yeah. So the obvious first question, what the fuck was Kiriakos doing in Diana Hunter's memories? The witness answers and calls it a narrative blockade. Won't immediately explain what that is in her mental state and is really just trying to get her to like stop working and take rest because it's dangerous to keep stressing yourself out with a concussion and like keep trying to work. But, you know, she's stubborn and she pushes through it. She keeps trying to work. She asks the witness to reference the picture that she took of Lenrot, but the witness can't find a match and says additional pictures would solve this issue or would resolve this issue. There's also no match to the name Regno Lenrot. So next she calls this guy Tubman, who is a technician who works on witness tech, describes him as a man who climbs in and out of muddy holes to fix things his supervisors imagine are beyond his proper understanding, but which on a given level, he knows far more intimately and usefully than they do. And at the far end of things, his proper job is dealing with the knackered outposts of complex machinery behaving badly. He calls himself her Watson. He says, I love playing Watson to my favorite copper. He's a fun character. She asks him about narrative blockade, and he says it's just a stalling device. 
like it's a story that somebody like comes up with in their head, believes it to be real, but you can't hold that long of a story. So eventually you go to the end of it, you find the thread of real life again, just waiting to be picked up. You move on from there. You'll get through this. Don't worry about it. And then Neith asks why this memory played back involuntarily while she was unconscious. Apparently this isn't supposed to happen. You know, you access it consciously instead. Tubman says, uh, you get that sometimes with the larger files, nothing to worry about, doubts it'll happen again. So Neith asks, who's the best person to talk to about narrative blockades and potential consequences? And he says, I've got a quote here. This is just setting up some future characters here. Tubman shrugs, mucky mucks and professors. Verlin was good. He's in a home. Paquette's at the university and she's crusty and irritating. You want someone who will come off the fence. He sighs, conceding a point to himself. There's a perfumed gentleman named Smith, smooth as a shaved ferret. Word on the street that he's tomorrow's man. Smith, her witness terminal informs her, first name, Oliver, director of tidal flow at the Turnpike Trust. She doesn't query the terms. Smith can explain them to her in his own words. You've met him? I've been in the presence, but we have not conversed as men. Smith doesn't do the unwashed and horny-handed sons of toil. He's elevated, but he's good. Tubman acknowledges that insofar as mucky mucks go, if you've got to have one, you might as well have this one. Thank you, Neith says. No problem. Now go off and detect, darling. Some of us have real work to do. <laughs> and then she gets a meeting with Smith, though, despite the urgency of her request, the witness makes her wait until the next day, which is in contrast to Tubman. She made a request to see Tubman and the witness cleared his calendar. You know, oh, okay. You know, this was priority one, basically, mm-hmm. and rescheduled everything. But Oliver Smith has, you know, important duties in the meantime. And so she has to wait until the next day. So she goes home and goes to bed and it says inside her quite unbidden Diana Hunter's interrogation continues to unfold itself, a strange seed in a clay pot. And that's the end of the chapter. So the witness kind of is, it's like a, you know, reminds me uh, of Miss Minutes. Yeah. It's Loki. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good description. Uh, so or, like a, my, or like a Jarvis or a Google, you know. Right. So the, yeah. the question I was trying to an figure Alexa. out how to form is... An Alexa might be the best. It's an AI or is it being controlled? It's an AI. Okay. Yeah. So knowing literally everything. It, and And it's the same AI that like is hooked up to all of the surveillance. Right. Right. Yeah. in the world so yeah. that's what yeah so or in the uk the witness decided that in the grand scheme of like the biggest picture tubman needed to be moved around in service immediately but smith in the grand scheme of what neith is doing can wait well it's not just that it's also that tubman is He's a man of dirt and soil, basically. Uh, he is a relative nobody. The priority of his calendar is light enough that, you know, a- again, what Neith's doing is high priority to the witness. Like, it's a public thing. She's made a, a, a public address, you know, and like, this is an unprecedented case. She's got very high access to, yeah. to do her job as she she sees fit. And one of the the ways that that is illustrated is Tubman being available yes 
Smith, However, Smith is not available immediately. And that is either meddling from the witness or just an indication of how powerful he is. And again, you know, Tubman describes him as a mucky muck and a guy who, you know, as word on the street is he's tomorrow's man. So he's like man of the future. He's a real big shot in, in yeah. some sort of way. I wonder if, because Oliver Smith is to specifically to talk about narrative blockades and not necessarily solving the mystery of Diana Hunter. Right. So her doing an off mission, a side quest yeah, could also just have lesser priority to the witness. Right. But again, the point that's hammered home over and over and over again is that supposedly from everything that we're led to believe, the witness is there to serve the people, not the other way around. And she is an inspector of the witness. And while it's in a sense, like a more powerful entity within the whole like structure than her, she it's a tool for her to use is whatever indication we have so far. Okay. So I might be trying to uh, question the witness too much. I mean, I think the questions are always there. It's natural to, especially when you have this AI and like, you don't know the inputs, you don't know how it's programmed. You, you know, you have an audit that's probably made by the witness itself. So there's a certain level of opacity there that like, it's commonplace to trust this thing. Everybody does it, Mm -hmm. but us as readers coming from the outside of the system, like we're going to question it because we don't understand it. And to what extent are these natural questions or what, uh, what extent are these like, we might be getting at something because we're from outside it, or we might just might not understand. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I like that this chapter was so short. I mean, like, yeah, I kind of like that this like transitionary scene wasn't really in part of a bigger chapter. Right. Totally. It really just kind of moved things along. Mm-hmm. It was nice to get, you know, Semi-palate a little palette cleanse. Yeah. And just some time to get some orientation, discuss things a little bit. I like cool. that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Alpha Flight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it happened. Um, <laughs> okay. Did, so there's this thing. So they're working for this like revamped Department H, which is like a you know shady sector of the Canadian government. And in the first volume of Alpha Flight, which somehow went 125 issues, they quit or got defunded or got kicked out or got disbanded or quit the government work so many times. It was just like hilarious because there was no like creative continuity. Like they just bounced around from status quo to status quo, like every 10 issues. And the cast of characters were just all over the place. Just like for one title that lasted 125 issues, they had just like dozens of characters. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And, and it, I think it was more due to editorial neglect than anything else. Like they just never understood what they were trying to do with that book. So they brought it back and they're like, okay, we're going to do the like X-Files government conspiracy thing. Kind of like we're doing on X-Factor, except X-Factor is, <laughs> you know, incoherent. So we're going to do it again, but this one's also incoherent. So like, Department H is like constantly like erasing their memories and messing with their minds. And, and every like issue, either Puck or Heather Hudson is like 
wait a minute, I remember something's not right here. I'm going to march into Department H office and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And they're like, oh, look over there. And then they fucking brainwash them again. <laughs> like it happens over and over and over again. <laughs> it's just, it's, if, if the book had like an ounce of self-awareness, it would be hilarious, uh-huh. but it completely lacks it. And so it's just like, outrageous the way it just like keeps going cyclically like the same characters keep having the same like subplots and arguments with each other like issue after issue i'm on 12 issues it happens every single issue wow Um, yeah puck has this unrequited love for heather heather has this weirdly unrequited love for mac because he is you know, regressed to a 19 year old and his memories were implanted and they didn't actually happen to him. And so he doesn't barely know who she is and they're trying to rekindle something that never existed. And they keep being hurt by their lack of consideration for each other. And, (laughs) you know, this guy radius is a jerk and he keeps going off to fight by himself. And, you know, just like everyone has the same, trait and subplot and mm. they just do the same subplot every single issue for each of those characters sunfire is in it he's apparently dying of radiation poisoning he went to department h for help with testing and then just kind of sat there and didn't really do anything else madison jeffries in issue one got abducted by this villain group called the zodiac they finally had their big blow-up con- uh, confrontation with him they sent puck on a solo mission to recapture sasquatch after Sasquatch escaped from the facility and it turns out that it was an actual Sasquatch. It wasn't Walt Lankowski. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so he found, he tracked down the Sasquatch and then they brought Puck and Sasquatch back into custody and erased Puck's memories of the entire thing. They went after Wolverine and failed and erased everybody's memories of the entire thing. So you just have all these missions that like happen and then like everyone's memories erased. So it's like it basically didn't happen. You can't like build plot off of it. So they just keep doing the same things over and over again, but with no self awareness that that's what they're doing. So it's, there's no like comedy of errors. And then the whole thing is narrated by this omniscient third person narrator that speaks directly to all the characters like you, Jared Corbo, you, you know, general Clark are doing this and this is happening. And how does that make you feel? And it, it's just supremely overwritten. It's terrible. Strange. Um, yeah. I don't like it, but that's my report. <laughs> <laughs> so the Sasquatch, was it, Literally, a sat- or was it was it a, a literal. Or was sas- it, it, it was no just a go. No, no, it was just a literal mythical. It, like it went back to its family of other Sasquatches when they broke out of the Department H facility. Oh, and then it got killed, and then it got killed during the Zodiac oh, fight. Too bad. Yeah, I know. So they're finally like breaking free of it, maybe. So they went down to the microverse. <laughs> Always a great sentence. Um, <laughs> help lead a revolution hence the pick that i posted the new meme format oh my god that, that was I- hilarious <laughs> yeah if you're not on our facebook do you hear, group, do you hear that sound what it's is like that grumbling or revolution <laughs> 
Oh man. Yeah. That was it. That's a funny little thing. Yeah. So that happened. And then they came back, uh, like in the middle of the department H headquarters being invaded by the Zodiac and the evil shady general guy just sacrificed himself to stop the whole complex from exploding from the nuclear power generator that apparently only powers this one building. And also Heather did a big like potential self-sacrifice thing that kind of mirrored the way that Mac died at the very beginning of the first volume of Alpha Flight, but she managed to get the malfunctioning part of her suit off before it exploded and didn't die, which is how Mac died. It was like, that was like an issue. I think it was like the same, like issue 12, but you know, of a series that went 125 issues, you have purportedly the main character die in issue 12 it's a hell of an interesting move it it, it is yeah i mean you could play it right it's, it could have been a ned it could have been a ned stark Twas not <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh wendigos are like one of my favorite things about canada in six uh-huh. yeah windows wendigos are cool yeah just they, little, uh, like spirits of the forest and of karma for cannibals and such yeah <laughs> it's mind-blowing yeah so for those that don't know basically there's a curse in canada specifically the country of canada that if it, it you... respects modern geographic boundaries yeah <laughs> if you that's eat... what also i'm so sorry no. uh <laughs> snow snowbirds powers work the same way it's like i can turn into any animal in the nation of canada it's like but that's <laughs> yeah I, but I, I think it's i think it's quote-unquote just native to canada like right. you can't you can't bring an elephant sure and then she can all sure that's but yeah. fine yeah every yeah it's very it's very uh territory based uh respecting <laughs> the, like when the u.s and canada had like border swaps I learned this on a late night geography YouTube binge last night. Don't at me. But apparently the U.S. and Canada swapped some territory up at the northern border at one point just to make the line straight. Oh, (laughs) like they followed. (laughs) They used to follow like North Dakota and sort of area and Montana. I think it used to follow a more natural river basin. Uh, for the border, but they're like, ah, we just want this to be a straight line. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so, like, maybe if there was a species that was like, you know, native to there, oh it's like, oh, I can't yeah. do that anymore. <laughs> it, it would probably be like some insect or something. Yeah. So maybe she doesn't. Maybe she wouldn't want to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, for uh, Wendigos, there's a curse in the entire nation of Canada that if you eat human flesh, you'll become a Wendigo, which is Mm -hmm. this like white furred monster werewolf looking kind of like, imagine like an emaciated looking emaciated werewolf Yeti. Yeah. um, You know, super sharp teeth, giant claws, like 10 feet tall. Yeah. There was a single shot. I think it was, x-men maybe wolverine called world war wendigo oh okay because there was this meat packing plant where oh, no. somebody fell into the vat of meat 
Oh no. And they covered it up and oh, sent out the brutal. meat anyway. And oh, an entire shit. town turned into Wendigos. That's pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> like yes it's disgusting but also it's <laughs> yeah that inti- that whole like ever since i read that story i was like wendigos are so interesting yeah totally <laughs> but yeah canada <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean you got through it <laughs> yeah you know that is that is the best thing that i can say about it yeah. What What are you going to do for next week? Are, are we just doing Nomon? Just Nomon next week because I've got a full-size chapter. It's a big one. It's a big one. Excellent. Continuing the Diana Hunter interrogation. Oh, cool. The, yeah, the next part of that. More Sans Serif? More Sans Serif. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, let's see. Ah, oh, <laughs> my gosh. Next week is going to be so cool. Okay, so next week I have... Ghost Spider Volume 2, Part okay. People, whatever. Yeah. And then I have Amazing Spider-Man Volume 10, Return of the Green Goblin. Oh, um, hell yeah. Collecting Amazing Spider-Man 4849, Amazing Spider-Man The Sins of Norman Osborn, mm. and material from Free Comic Book Day 2020. Ooh, and Bachalo is the artist on one of them. Nice. Anyway, um, awesome. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, so the back says Nick Spencer and a host of legendary creators celebrate 850 issues of Amazing Spider-Man. Holy crap. So that is so exciting. That's why it's so thick. There's only, like, literally there's only, like, three and a half issues on here, but, like, it's super thick. Yeah, that's Um, gnarly. And then Falcon and the Winter Soldier cut off one head because Disney Plus happened, and so there has to be (laughs) Of course, we have to figure out how to put the two of them together because it doesn't make sense for Falcon and the Winter Soldier to hang out. Like, I get that Bucky is Cap's World War II sidekick, and I get that Falcon was Cap's sidekick way back when they first brought him back to quote unquote modern day. And yeah. so it's like two sidekicks hanging out and, right. and like being buddy buddy. It's like two exactly. Robins hanging out. For yeah, Batman. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, they have two very different worlds. They have they very different power sets, which could work, but like Bucky's a spy. Bucky yeah. does Merc stuff. Right. He has a relationship with Natasha and they have good totally stories that make sense. Secret uh, Avenger type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Falcon, all of his, unfortunately, Fal- not necessarily unfortunately, but like Falcon, all of his like solo title stuff has been more around uh the color of his skin yeah but then also red wing is a vampire now by the way (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) and so there was a storyline where that happened and so like (laughs) and he also has he also has his own protege sidekick called falcon right joaquin uh yeah joaquin's dna got spliced with red wing and that's are you serious uh, because of a bad guy it wasn't his choice but that's how he got his that's how he got his wings he's, okay. he's like a he's a natural flying um okay falcon he's, he's not a like human a human falcon hybrid yeah um okay. but anyway his story falcon uh sam wilson's stories have nothing to do with bucky barnes's stories right and yeah so i don't know we'll see we'll see how it goes however comma 
<laughs> After that, I have Immortal Hulk Volume 8. Oh, shit. I am so excited. It's about to um, go down. Oh, that's another thing. If you do I know. want to read comics, yep. but you don't want to read 98. I know. It, it's, I've, I've been Hulk. thinking about it. It's been sitting there for me. Oh, my yeah. gosh, dude. Because actually, the first volume, I think it's like issue one or two, has that kind of monologue from Hulk about how heavy it is to carry a gun. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Because I had made reference to that back when we were right. talking about writing that forward for the pros. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I am super excited for two very exciting volumes of comics that are currently some of my tops for 616. That's awesome. I am excited for you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about more Nomon because it just gets crazier from here. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, well, that, that was fun. This was, yeah. it was, it's fun to get back to like, it's been almost a month since we've done a like, That's quote unquote, a, regular episode. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Giant size Dawn and, 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 uh, and then Demetrius. And yeah. Getting X-Men file. Uh, demetrios on on the pod (laughs) Ooh, and then yeah i guess in like five or six weeks i'm gonna be heading over to vegas to help paul hoppy friend of the show move to move to his new place with his wife oh that's awesome you get to meet paul i'm gonna meet paul in person permanent guest star on superhero ethics yeah (laughs) because he refuses (laughs) to be a host (laughs) paul hoppy so that'll be fun. I'm gonna help him help him move. And assuming he tells me he gives me a date to be there. Sure. I will be helping him move. Awesome. <laughs> and since I know he listens to this, he will hear yep. this and that'll be my poke to be like, let me know. Don't forget about me. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anything else you have to say to the good people of the internet before we sign on off? No, just uh, keep an eye out for all things hype is my superpower. I think I've got a good feeling for like our future, man. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff. Yeah, me too. And keep an eye out for that stream as well. Keep an eye out for the stream. If you want to talk more Marvel stuff, come talk to me while I build Lego sets and Gundam models. Heard it here first, folks. Heard it here first, really. Like, actually first. (laughs) I'm not even going to say anything until this pod goes up, just in case. Awesome. (laughs) Sounds good. um, Until then, I guess we'll just put the outro music here. Boom. Boom. That was fun. That was man. Good time, man. It's like we're back to normal. It's like we're back, back, we're back in it, man. All right. <laughs> Take care, dude. I'm going to talk to you later. Bye.